The UDR cast is not affiliated and does not represent any 12-step fellowship. I, Bill Ward, the host of the UDR cast, will be sharing my experience and my journey of recovery. That does include, but is not limited to, the literature contained in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous and the 12 Steps. Our guests will be sharing their own path to recovery and what has worked for them. The UDR cast encourages and supports all paths to recovery. Welcome everybody to the UDR cast. UDR stands for Uncover, Discover and Recover. My name is Bill Ward and I'm coming to you from the recovery capital of Canada, Calgary, Alberta. Here we are going to discuss everything recovery, different perspectives, different experiences, both with the people I know and with others from around the world. If you resonate with anything you've heard on this episode today, we ask that you share it with anyone who you think may benefit from it. If you have any questions or comments, please find us at billward.life and send us a message in the info section. We'll get back to you as soon as we can. If you are interested in more recovery content, you can find the buttons for the YouTube channel and other social media outlets on the homepage, and you will be redirected to those platforms. We can recover. One person, one family, one community at a time. Step 10 is two components, one of which is inventory, which we'll go through. That allows me to have the presence. Once I have the presence, I carry this vision of God's will into all my activities. So that's what, that's what I do with the presence, just as it pertains to step 10. So step 10, step 10 is my favorite step, not only from the practicality of it and the direction in it, from a benefit standpoint from a serenity standpoint, from a gift standpoint, it is, it is the biggest step. Once I, with the presence, this is how I could do a lot. So without presence, there's no inventory or without presence, there's no meditation. Without presence, there's not proper sponsorship. Without presence, there's not a career. There's without presence, I have nothing. If I'm not right here right now, I have nothing in my life. So majority of my life, I was asleep at the wheel the whole time. And then what might happen, something's going to happen that disturbs me, uh, that I'm confronted with, that I'll be snapped, uh, snapped awake. And generally when I get snapped and snapped awoke, I'm very irritable. So I'm off in this dream world. I'm thinking about me consistently and I'm never present. And then something will happen. Somebody will say something or whatever, whatever. And like, all throughout my life, I've said some real questionable things to people because that's exactly what's happened. I, I, I'm off in my mind. Somebody will say something to me and then all of a sudden now I'm actually here. Now, you know, now I have to talk to them and I'll say some fucking absurd shit and then I'll go off with my day, right? And then that's the type of shit when that stuff piles up, you think about that. With step 10, 11 and 12, and it starts with 10, you know, it gives me the ability, uh, the ability for the first time in my life to actually be fully present. That means, you know, when I'm uh, at work, I'm fully available to whatever's going on. When I'm driving, when I'm here, I'm not thinking about anything else. I'm actually able to arrive in my own life 
for the first time in my life. And so also too, farther than that, like some of the, some of the more devastating things that have happened to me in recovery, just because I, you know, you don't, you don't end up, you know, um, you don't end up stopping the selfishness and then all of a sudden that's the end of it. A lot of the times you have to deal with it, whether that be debts, whether that be amends, all that other shit. And so in dealing with the wreckage of my past, there's some pretty terrible shit that had happened in this process. And not only am I able to go through that and, and strengthen a relationship and be present for all the seemingly negative things, I could be present for all the seemingly positive things. And furthermore, I can actually get through those negative things and have wisdom out of that, have experience out of that, have a stronger relationship with God. I want to chat about that a little bit more. We'll probably chat about that a little bit, probably more in the step 12. But if I were to just kind of bust open and chat about step 10, that's the presence. I can't explain how important that's been in my life. Anything else? You good? Does anyone have any questions about step 10 before we kick it off? Uh, yeah, Bill, sorry, you mentioned, uh, I've seen people do that, take inventory again, uh, especially people who are in the program for a while. Uh, like you mentioned that uh, sometimes we need, uh, we need to take an inventory again. Uh, so what would cause that? Because like, uh, aren't you like, correct me, like you've done your uh, step four, you've done your step five. And then when things pop up, uh, you catch them in step 10, right? Your, your resentments, your fears, uh, your dishonesty, you catch all that in your step 10. So what is actually the, what, what's the purpose of doing another inventory? Like, I don't get that. Okay. Well, as you're living life and you're doing these step 10 spot check inventories, because that's what type of inventory this is. It's a spot check inventory, but some of yeah. the desires that we struggle with are really strong and powerful and they don't just get relinquished on the spot. When we do a spot check inventory, like a guy that's working in a problem with lust he, he can't just turn it over every single time. A lot of it is okay. He does the process, but it's, there's a lot of resistance still as he's doing it. Right. And so resistance, whatever you resist always persists. So I can do this inventory on lust in that moment. But this thing keeps coming back over and over and it plagues them. And, and we're not going to catch it every time. And sometimes based on our, our inability to really do, god's will every time we're gonna act out in this we're gonna act out in decisions based in self that's why the principle behind this step is perseverance it means to fight through as victory over these things may bear witness to those we would help with thy power thy love and thy way of life so there's gonna be a fight here perseverance means to fight through that's this is where the fight is you're not always gonna god's not always gonna win Sometimes my old defects of character, they're so strong and powerful, they win. So then over time, like maybe I pile up some, some resentments. Maybe I pile up some harms. Maybe I really want to relinquish this. And maybe, it's, maybe this is happening in finance, in my relationship. And maybe it's happening in like envy and other areas in my life that, you know, because I'm new to recovery, I've never really tried to change these things. So it takes time. You did your first set of steps. Now you're working the step 10 process, but now it's like, okay, I'm six months in and I'm still acting out in this pretty heavily. 
And so now it's time to take an inventory in that effect. And it always boils back down to some type of fear based in your instincts. And this is why working a solid program over time is so important because you can, uh, you can grow and you can learn. A lot of the behaviors that we act out on are just symptoms of the brokenness of our wholeness. And over time, like I've said many times on the study, millimeter by millimeter by millimeter, we heal. You just don't heal like that, right? So it's, uh, in essence, it's kind of like step six. When I first start working this step 10, my opinion is it's mostly step six. That's why we spend so much time on the six, because the theory behind the six is applied here in the 10. Any person capable of enough willingness and honesty to try repeatedly step six in step 10 on all his faults without reservation has indeed come a long way spiritually is indeed a man who is trying to grow in the image and likeness of his creator. So this is where I'm working that exactly. And I am growing more in the image and likeness of my creator, but it's a fight, right? And then it says, this is about the greatest fact of his life. So as you keep working that step six humiliation and pain, you, it takes you to the step being mostly like a step seven down the road. And then this is when you're ingrained with the program and you're living this way of life to the best of your ability. But like the book says, there's always going to be desires that oppose the grace of God. So we got to do, you know, and we'll read about it in the step 10, 12 and 12, the different types of inventories of things that are longstanding difficulties that we may struggle with. Right. So, okay. Okay. What I would say on that just quickly too, is, for an annual or semi-annual house cleaning, sometimes new information is brought up mm -hmm. that really brings everything into light. So like, for example, you're going to work and the last year you've been dealing with this guy who's just a miserable prick day in, day out, and you're doing inventory on him day in, day out, and he really disturbs you. You're doing a lot of work. You're trying to be helpful. You're bringing God into it. Then a year down the road, you find, you find out that his wife passed away due to cancer or something a year ago and he doesn't know how to handle it and you know this this was his way of handling it and so now that new piece of information brings to light the whole fucking year right and so that could that could cause for that could that could bring about an annual or semi-annual house clean right to where now you oh, go wow. over everything and you're actually like everything has now come to a head right so from, from what he does after that moment, you can easily see him as a sick man, you know, going sick person going through some terrible shit, right? So that's actually the main thing that I'll bring up when it comes to the annual or semi-annual house cleaning is new information that's brought about. And on that okay. point, on that point, I always say, if you're not keeping a clean house in your recovery in your life through the processes that we have in this program, you know, the shit that's coming up the shit comes up over time because healing happens over time that third column stuff is still coming up the root of these things is coming up so if you don't have a clean house as you're dealing with the shit as it comes up the shit will deal with you right and this that's why these inventories and like jesse said more gets revealed and maybe we're like holy shit i didn't know that about myself right so like at year six for me i didn't realize that i'd spent my whole life running from being first nations and that only came through a continuous inventory over six years. And then it got revealed. So then I had to dig in on one aspect of my life, which wasn't actually one aspect. It was my whole life. 
but that only came up because I was willing to do this consistently over time. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Okay. <clears throat> this thought brings us to step 10, which suggests we continue to take personal inventory and continue to set right any new mistakes as we go along. We vigorously commence this way of living as we cleaned up the past. We have entered the world of the spirit. Our next function is to grow in understanding and effectiveness. This is not an overnight matter. It should continue for our lifetime. Continue to watch for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. When these crop up, we ask God to remove them. We discuss with someone immediately and make amends quickly if we've harmed anyone. Then we resolutely turn our thoughts to someone we can help. Love and tolerance of others is our code. We have ceased fighting anything or anyone, even alcohol, for by this time, sanity will have returned. We will seldom be interested in liquor. If tempted, we recoil from it as from a hot flame. We react sanely and normally. We'll find that this has happened automatically. We will see that a new attitude toward liquor has been given us without any thought or effort on our part. It just comes. That is the miracle of it. We are not fighting it, neither are we avoiding temptation. We feel as though we've been placed in a position of neutrality, safe and protected. We have not even sworn up and said the problem has been removed. It does not exist for us. We're neither cocky nor are we afraid. That is our experience. That is how we react so long as we keep in fit spiritual condition. Okay, so right off the bat, there's a lot of things to talk about here. Hopefully I don't take fucking the whole meeting, but uh, we'll see how it goes. So in this first paragraph, Jesse and I are literature guys, right? And we look up the words and we see the literature and we notice the number of times words are used. We notice the commas and the periods and, and how each word and each sentence and each paragraph flows into the next. So in this first paragraph, it says this thought, which I'm assuming is immense. Okay? That thought, Jesse mentioned when we were doing the step nines, you know, we get a few amends under about five or eight or whatever it is. We get it. We get some traction in the amends and then we bounce into the step 10. Okay. And so that thought brings us to step 10, which suggests that we continue. Notice the number of continues that I'm going to read here to take personal inventory, continue to set right any new mistakes as we go along. We vigorously commenced. Very important two words right there. Vigorously commenced this way of living as we cleaned up the past. We have entered into the world of the spirit. So essentially what it's saying is we enter into the world of the spirit in this step or through some of the nines and into this. Now we're entering into the world of God, the world of the spirit. That's, that's how important the step is. It launches us more and more into the spiritual world. Our next function is to grow in understanding and effectiveness. So our next function in this process as we live this over time, and it's this line still today is one of the most important lines. I keep growing in understanding and effectiveness. I keep reflecting the data. So I'm able to better serve me, my fellows, and God's universe. And like that's why sponsorship is so important because you start growing in understanding and effectiveness of the alcoholic mind and people in general and you start being able to gauge and how to handle and navigate intuitively different situations and different people that you're working with and it helps heal you as well and as i'm healing i'm getting closer to god too like this step does so many things but it says this is not an overnight matter of course 
doesn't happen. It's persistent, consistent commitment to change, to build character, to try to do something different. Because when we talk about the psychic change in step one, in the doctor's opinion, there is very little hope of his recovery if he does not have the psychic change because he's driven by the ideas, the emotions, and the attitudes that are guiding force of his life. And this is where we bring those to the surface and we cast them aside and we try to use this new set of conceptions and motives to dominate us. Is it easy? No, it's hard. Simple process? Yeah, but not easy to do. The thing is, is you gotta be willing to do it, right? So this is not an overnight matter. It should continue for our lifetime. So it says, continue to watch for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. And for anyone that's taken notes, I want you to put a little baby number one right before continue. Because that's the first step in this five-step process. There's five little baby steps here. Can you get that thing off the screen? So that's the first step. Continue to watch for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. These are a lot of the the subconscious patterns that we've made conscious in the step four and the five. These are the things that have been driving us, these ideas and the emotions and the attitudes. I got to be aware of them. So the first step is awareness of these things. That's why when step four and five were done, it was like, holy shit. You became aware of things that you were never aware of before. Now we carry those things into this step because they're still going to, you know, step four and five was just a cleaning of the top layer. And now we really work on those things here in the tent. So you put a little baby number two after fear before when. When these things crop up, we ask God at once to remove them. So there's the first step in the solution. You have the awareness of the problem, defects of character, and any manifestations of self living in the spiritual malady, essentially. And now we, our first step in the solution is we ask God, we go to God. God's our first sponsor always. And we ask him to remove whatever it is at once. Could be judgment, could be greed, could be envy, could be lust. It could be, you know, self-pity. It could be a whole gamut of different emotions or feelings that we've never really noticed before. And we just thought that was life. But these feelings and emotions are what we drank over. So we got to try something new. And we didn't really even want some of those behaviors, which is why God's so important, because God is the one that helps us change these things when we turn to God, because there's some type of a power out there that wants the best for us. And when we turn to it, it actually gives us power and it helps us to relinquish these things, because like the book said, we could have moral and philosophical convictions galore. Yeah, I had these moral and philosophical convictions of who I was and what I wanted to be. But it says we could not live up to them, even though we would have liked to. As marshaled by my own will, I fail and I fail utterly. I had to have God's help. And in that step three, it talks about selfish self-centeredness. That we think is the root of our trouble. You know, we have to have God's help in removing it. And there seems no way of entirely getting rid of self without his aid. We must be rid of it or it kills us. Like strong words, that's all in the step three. And to me, step three is actually right here. Now I'm turning over 
what I made the promise on in step three, I'm doing that here. Step three was just a launching point. And now I'm doing it in live action and it's not easy to do, okay? So I asked God at once to remove it. Boom, God, right away. And then put a little baby number three before we. We discuss them with someone immediately. That's a really important part of this process. Getting a good perspective on whatever it is that we're dealing with in that moment. We discuss it with another God-centered 12-step pillar. What am I struggling with? Well, he can shine the light. We can look at the facts. We can face the facts. We can look at the truth about the situation, the truth about stock and trade. Not always my truth, because my truth is skewed by my old ideas, emotions, and attitudes. My truth is skewed with self, which is why I need somebody else, other people, to help me see the truth about myself. So we talk to somebody immediately. And then it says, and then you put a little baby number four, after and, before make, make amends quickly if we have harmed anyone. And what I love about that is it says, if I have harmed anyone, if I'm following the process, it's not even likely that I'm going to actually harm anybody because I'm following the process to a T and I don't hurt people when I'm doing this process. Of course, like we talked about earlier, I may fail on this process and not be able to catch the things when I'm early in trying this. So then we talk to our sponsor, we make amends quickly if we have harmed anyone. But here's where the program really dilutes it in the rooms. The rooms talk about promptly admitting that I'm wrong and then going to make an amend all the time. Typically, that amend in the, in the rooms that you hear, it's based fully out of self. Okay? It's usually a relief-seeking amend that the person has no part in making amend, period, without talking to a God-centered 12-step pillar. But they're driven by the best of intentions. So they think they're doing the right thing and then they give themselves a pat on the back. And you hear that a lot in the room, you know, about these people taking that action, admitting that they're wrong because they acted a certain way and then they make the amend. It's fully based in self. And then to put the icing on the top of the cake on that selfish motive in decision, they go and talk about it in the room and how awesome it was for them, right? Like there's no humility in any of it at all. And humility is the cornerstone principle. Most of us have not even a nodding acquaintance with humility as a way of life. And there's the proof, right? So real humility is following this process. And then so if we have harmed anyone, then put a little baby number five between anyone and them. And then we resolutely turn our thoughts to someone we can help. So I start off with the problem of me. I go to God, I talk to a God-centered pillar, I make my amends quickly if I have harmed anyone, and then I resolutely turn my thoughts to someone I can help, or I take the action, and I go help somebody. If you can't take the action to go be of service to somebody, then it does say thoughts, right? So what I've learned over my own recovery over time is I used to pray for somebody in that process for like five seconds. I would pray for that person for like five or 10 seconds, but I didn't find it had any real impact. But once I started changing my prayer for that other person that I was resentful at, or that I was lustful at, or that I was judging or envious to, once I started changing my prayer to be 30 seconds to a minute, it was a game changer. 
because it allowed me to rewire some of my subconscious and actually give a fuck about that person. And it's very similar to the direction that's not part of the actual big book direction, but a lot of people use it on page 552 for resentments. It says, pray for everything you want for yourself or somebody else for two weeks. It's very similar to that. So pray for 30 seconds, pray for a minute for somebody in to end off this process. I start with the problem of me, my defects of character, um, spiritual malady. I go through the process and now I end off the process with you. That's what we do around here. It's all about trying to be of service to you. And when I talked about earlier, we work out our solution on the spiritual and altruistic plane. Part of altruism is self-sacrificing my selfish judgments and desires for the benefit of you. So there's a lot of altruism as I practice this last piece of this five-step process of the step 10. At first, I don't really want to pray for you. So it's just an act of altruism. Because altruism is unselfishly devoting oneself to the welfare, happiness, and well-being of others. I'm not really wanting the best for you. I'm just learned to follow the process. So then I follow the process. And over time, that act of altruism, I noticed that the 10-star resentment that I'm dealing with, it actually dissipates to a 5 then it dissipates to a four, a three, a two, and a one. And then I actually give a shit about how you're actually doing. And I've developed some true love and tolerance. And tolerance, as described, I think it's on page 23 or 19, and there's a solution. Other people's shortcomings, viewpoints, and respect for their opinions are attitudes that make us more useful to others. So I'm able to understand you have an opinion, you have shortcomings, you have viewpoints, and that's totally okay. And I don't condemn you for it anymore. And I don't need to justify anymore. And maybe some of what you believe I don't agree with, but I don't have to have an opinion on the outside issues outside of me. Hence, because of that, I'm not drawn into public controversy anymore. I'm not drawn into your drama based on me going against what your opinions are. Right? And I want to talk more about that later. Um, should I just keep going or do you want to talk on that? And then we kind of do the next section. Yeah, let's move it up. Yeah. <clears throat> That's good. See, you kept on going up probably another 15 minutes just on the Well, I should go. Okay. Yeah, good stuff. All right. So this thought brings us to step 10, which suggests we, can, we continue to take personal inventory and continue to set right any new mistakes as we go along. We vigorously commence this way of living as we've cleaned up the past. So. We vigorously commence this way of living of continuing to take personal inventory and setting right any new mistakes as we go along. Mm. So we vigorously commence that we do that as we clean up the past. The problem with being stalled out in nine and just cleaning out the past is that we're consuming that. And a lot of the times that remorse morbid reflection could be bleeding in to the day, day by day. So we have to keep it in sight that yes, we have to clean up the past, but we sure as fuck have to clean up the present as well as we go through the day. And we have to hold some amount of presence. And like, 
the thing is, is that, you know, Bill, I've read, I just read the directions and Bill explained the directions and I'm going to explain the directions again. But just because we read the directions and then we read the promises, like the promises come in my experience, and I'm sure Bill's would be much the same, like the step 10 promises really didn't become apparent until I was like 12 stepped, sponsoring a good amount of men, really working 10, 11, 12. But even in saying that, the process that I'm going to read off and explain here, like there is a correlation. I said this before, I'll say it again. There is a correlation between inventory and sobriety. There is a correlation between inventory, gaining some sort of presence as a direct result of inventory insanity, right? So there's no coincidence that in step five and the promises after five, you know, talk about the drink problem, the feeling that the drink problem has disappeared, you know, walking hand in hand uh, with our creator, feeling that we know our creator better, you know, and then being placed in a position of neutrality, safe and protected for 10, right? It feels as though the problem has been removed. You know, we solve the problem of inventory um, or we solve the problem of the drink through inventory because at the end of the day, what inventory enables me to do is enables me to be present. And when I'm present, I'm not restless, irritable, and discontented, all three full blown. I will get spurts of irritability, spurts of discontent, and spurts of restless restlessness, but it's not all three and it's not full blown. Because even for me today, if it's all three and full blown, you know, I'm liable, like the insanity does come back. That is a fact, right? And so, I'll explain that a little bit more, but let's just kind of bust into it. We've entered the world of the spirit. And so the more present I am in my life, the more I'm in the world of the spirit. And so, well, okay, so what does that mean? Like, it sounds nice, right? The world of the spirit, what does that mean? What does that mean in my experience is I'm no longer consumed when I'm consistently in the world of the spirit. I'm no longer consumed with all these situations and circumstances that belong in the world of, of the material that are more, you know, human affair type things, you know, things that I would get irritated about, like people not, you know, doing what they should be doing, just sim simple as people not doing their job, people not driving as I think that they should people being irritable with me, people having issues with me, even, you know, something as simple as the car having a flat tire or not starting the way I think it should, or something as simple as, you know, even my watch, you know, one of my watches going down, for example, you know, when I'm in the world of the spirit, I am above a lot of those things. It's not as if I am better than those things. It's just those things don't have the ability to take me out any longer, right? I have the ability to go through a lot of these things, just the monotony of life and a lot of the problems that the monotony of life brings. And I don't, I don't have to absolutely lose my mind when I am in the world of the material. And that is a byproduct or world of the spirit rather. 
And that is a byproduct of doing the inventory process. That is a byproduct of the presence that I get from the inventory processes that I enter into the world of the spirit. And of course it takes some time, you know, and meditate, well, like meditation is a, is a great lubricant for that. And then, you know, acting out on God's will of the inspiration that I get from my meditation and the intuitive thoughts that I get from my meditation. I mean, it all plays a part for sure, but this is the step that starts it all for without the, Without humility in the seven, the practice of that, there is no, there is none of this. There is no ladder steps, right? So if I'm practicing humility, this is the start. This is the keys to the kingdom. Uh, our next function is to grow in understanding and effectiveness. And in my experience, the understanding and effectiveness is the understanding of the understanding of the uh, process, understanding the so growing and understanding and effect, understanding and effectiveness, understanding as a baseline of just the process of what we're talking about here, right? Doing that process over and over, you know, doing the inventories if that's the part of the process, chatting, chatting about the dishonesty, about making moves in my own life, about the selfishness bringing that to God, bringing that to a 12-step member, and then trying to pack into the stream of life. So that's that. And then from there, my effectiveness, when I've reached the presence, when I enter the world of the uh, spiritual, where do, I, where do I take this from there? So there's one that's just the baseline of the process itself which that alone could take a guy a number of years to understand that, that full process and get it deep-rooted. And then once that's deep-rooted along with the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, from there, it's more purpose, effectiveness. Where am I most effective once I'm present? What do I do with the presence? That type, those type of things. Continue to watch for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. So that would be if you are running into resentment, if you're running into fear, you are following the same process that you did in step four. That doesn't change. So you will still write inventory. You will still write inventory for resentments. You will still write inventory for fears. Um, I've heard a lot of people talk about, you know, the fact that they would keep a notepad around. Do you remember hearing this a lot, Bill? Mm -hmm. You still hear that? I haven't heard it as much. But there was a time where, you know, people would talk about carrying a notepad and doing inventory live action. From the first time I heard that, I thought that was fucking nonsense. I still think that that's nonsense today. What I used to do is there was a, an app that I used to give all my sponsees. It was called uh, my, it was called my daily reflection. I think I stopped doing it because they started charging, but for like maybe three, four years, that's what I gave all my guys. So then they, you know, they had an app that they could go into and then they had the ability to send it to me. Um, but, you know, then they started charging money. I thought, I thought that was a fucking sham. So your best bet is you just end up doing it in the notes, pull up your phone, do it in the notes. And I've done this all over the place. I've done this at work. I've done this, you know, in the car when I'm parked or maybe when I'm in a drive-thru or whatever, I've done this at restaurants. Because I just look like another asshole on my phone, right? 
as opposed to pulling out a notepad and pen. I, I could never comprehend that. I always thought that that was fucking off. And I've never done that. Never done that. I've always used the phone. But make no mistake, like it, like when I would run into heavy resentments during the day or heavy fears more so, I would be writing inventory. And then from there, when it comes to the fear and the resentment, you are also doing the exact same prayers for the fear and for the resentment that you did in step four. When it comes to selfishness and dishonesty, a little bit different. When it comes to the, the, the dishonesty, like, Resentment and fear, by the time you reach step 10, if you are diligently trying to work this process, you'll more often than not, you'll be able to find uh, resentment. Fears can be a little bit more difficult, but you have a better opportunity to find that as opposed to selfishness and dishonesty. Dishonesty is probably the absolute fucking hardest to find because you've sold yourself on this idea. So like a lot of the times a sponsor will, will give me a ring and, uh, you know, he'll, he'll lay the chips out and he'll present me with an idea. He'll say, Jess, what are your thoughts? You know, and he bombards me with all this fucking salesman jargon. This is why it's good. This is yada, yada, and blah, blah, blah. And meanwhile, this guy's been thinking about this for like a week or fucking two, right? He's been crafting this for a week or two, right? To the point he thinks it's the best idea he's ever come up with. And I listen to it and it's complete fucking nonsense. Right. But that's the problem, though, is that he if he never called, you know, he, he would have ran with it. He would have ran with it. And you know what? He probably even, you know, if if he got caught in the act, he probably would have propped his reliance on God and said, no, no, God told me to get with this newcomer. No, no. God put her right in my path and all the stars aligned and blew back my hair. And I knew we were meant to get together. And now I have to leave her because I'm worried about her recovery. And <laughs> that's a typical fucking thing. Dishonesty and then selfishness as well is fairly difficult. But the manifestation, it's the manifestation itself and the repercussions of that. Like you have to remember generally when a guy first starts doing the 10, he's doing it from a reaction. He's doing it from um, the repercussions that he's getting right? So he's getting repercussions out of resentment. He's getting repercussions out of fear, right? When it comes to the selfishness, the repercussions are extremely great, right? Where you're looking at wrath. So this is the selfishness. What he's watching for is the seven deadly sins. So I've always capped off the selfishness solely as the character, as the defective character. And so when I say that, or when me and Bill have said that step 10 is the solution to the six, that's how it is, is when you watch for the selfishness, you're watching for solely the defective character. So for the sloth, for the greed, for the loss, for the wrath, et cetera, right? For the pride, all of it's going to be capped off in there. And it's not when he's going to be active at first that he's going to be able to catch it. It's going to be when he's getting those repercussions. It's going to be when the pain is so fucking great that he has no option but to either drink or do this work. And the hope is obviously that he does this work. So with the prayers, they could be unique with the dishonesty and the selfishness. They could be unique to him, but always bring it to God first. And so this is what I would say is that before you call a 12-step member, 
and, and just dump your fucking nonsense on his desk. You know, I highly suggest you get your shit together, you know, as in you do the work, you do the work necessary, you bring it to God, then you call this 12-step member. I can't tell you how many times God guys have just fucking called me. They don't ask if it's a good time, has nothing to do with me. They just fucking bowl in a china shop, come into my day and just start laying the shit, you know? And a lot of the times if they don't do the work, the process to come to some conclusion or some sanity for the sponsee around it is like next near impossible. If they do the work, you could come to a conclusion five, 10 minutes. If they don't, you could be on the phone for like fucking 30 minutes to 45 minutes easily, right? Walking them through the process where, you know, this is, this is his responsibility, not the sponsor's. You were given the chips, you do the work, right? If he does the work and, and he calls me, I mean, fuck, we could come to a conclusion five, 10 minutes easy, right? So I'd highly suggest that. I mean, you know, my sponsees who, who are at this point in 12 step, they fucking know that because I've told them that they understand that, you know, sometimes they'll, you know, sometimes, I mean, listen, there's exceptions to the rule. I mean, sometimes the situation is so great. You know, the wife just left, whatever, whatever, like, and if that's the case, I'm not going to smack them around, you know, we'll work on the solution. But if it comes to little ones and twos nonsense where this guy looked at me wrong or whatever, that's fucking unacceptable. Right. <sighs> when these crop up, we ask God to remove them. We discuss with someone immediately and make amends quickly if we've harmed anybody. So when it comes to that piece alone, discuss with someone immediately, that is the most important piece of the process when it comes to the dishonesty itself. That is the most important piece. In fact, that is the only piece that I've been able to come up with in order to hedge against the dishonesty of for myself and for the guys that I work with. That's the only fucking way is to take this from the darkness, bring it to the light, rise it on your shoulders, bring it like when I bring up situations to my fellowship, I do not, I, there was times where I would be biased and shit. And I got enough pain out of that where like, you know, maybe I would call Bill and I would craft this in such a way that he's going to tell me kind of what I want to hear for the most part. And then, you know, you get enough pain out of that. And I just lay the fucking chips out, dude. Like, I do not, I don't fucking care what happens for the result. I lay the chips out. You tell me, of course, I have formulated my own idea. If I lay the chips out as honestly as possible, then that's how I know that we're on the right track, right? And of course, you could only do this with God-centered members. So I highly suggest for this process, you start getting some God-centered members that really do this fucking work. That really not, you know, I'm not talking show and shine in the rooms, you know, they give a good share, you know, but then their whole life is fucked, right? Like you want this guy to be doing this in all aspects. That way, you know, that the information this individual gives you is the best information that you can be getting, right? We discuss with someone immediately and make amends quickly if we have hired anybody. I really like that piece that Bill talked about, like. You don't, in this process, it's not you make the amends, then you discuss with someone immediately. That's not the process. 
The process is you discuss with someone immediately out of that discussion. If amends is to be made, they are made. You don't just, you know, fly off the handle half cocked going into situations. Making amends like I've done that. I've seen other guys do that. And you could make the situation fucking much more, much worse, much worse out of that. Then we resolutely turn our thoughts to someone we can help. Love and tolerance of others is our code. So, I mean, you know, Bill, Bill has kind of given his own spiel on that. When it comes to me, at least for the start with the guys I work with, is you get a Rolodex of guys. You're going to be get, trying to get a Rolodex of individuals. And so what you're looking for is you're not looking for individuals that you could sponsor. If you can't sponsor them, then you will sponsor them. We're talking about the, the people that you've approached for maybe a couple of weeks to a couple of months. Sponsorship isn't really there. Maybe they have one foot in the program, one foot drunk. These are the types of people that you're going to want to how, you know, you're going to want to get a good amount of numbers of these people, maybe 10, 12 and around there. And you're going to want to cycle through. So what I did is I would do the, the inventories. I would do the fucking prayers in the book for fears and resentments. When it came to dishonesty, some sort of my little, some sort of prayer, then I would bring, then, then I bring it to a 12 step member, right? And try and get some sanity around and try and get some frankness and clarity. Then when it comes to the selfishness, that is the seven deadly sins, do my own prayer, bring that to a member, right? Once I bring it to a member, you know, that's where I find out if there's any amends. And it's not generally I'm calling one member. Normally I'll call one or two, maybe three, depending on how big the situation is. Then after that call, after I got my house somewhat in order, now I call a still suffering member that's what I do. And this isn't sponsee fucking shit. I don't call sponsees generally out of the blue. Only time I'll call a sponsee is if we're trying to figure out a time or if I know they're going through, you know, may, maybe I've heard through the grapevine something has happened and they might be going through some turmoil, then I might read. Right? Not fuck. That's a separate thing as far as I'm concerned. I've always been, that's always been my spiel. Is sponsorships one thing? This is much different. What I'm looking for is looking for members that are in between places. I call these individuals. I do not talk about myself. The conversation is solely based around them. I might be on the phone with these fucking guys for 10 minutes to an hour, whatever they need. And then from there, after that conversation, now I start to get something in the way of some presence. After everything I've just said, now I start to get something in the way of the realm of the, uh, of the realm of the spirit. I do that enough. I will be operating fully in the realm of the spirit. Both of what Jesse and I had both said, this is where we're actually allowing God to build with us and do with us as thou will. This is where God is relieving me of the bondage of self. This is where take away my difficulties as victory over them happens. And it's all for one reason. So we can be more of service to God and his kids. And the thing that I've noticed about the program is a lot of people will do the steps. 
they don't really understand the practical application, the mechanical aspects like we're describing here. And then they just go out and they self-will the principles into their life. You don't really need to self-will anything here in this program because any life ran on my self-will can hardly be a success. And like Jesse kind of alluded to it, he was able to craft and manipulate his own self to deliver when he would call me to deliver the message to me in a way that it would suit him. But out of that, he got enough pain that he's like, fuck that. I'm absolutely convinced that my life fucked by me and I keep fucking me. So I'm just going to lay all the chips on the table and whatever happens, happens. So that is learned through pain, right? And the step here, we learn through a lot of the pain. But when we follow this step exactly as it's written, and we don't just go into life with the best of intention, because we can live our life with the best of intention and then still fight everything and everyone. But we're really still fighting ourselves, but we still fight everybody else. So what this step does is it goes, here's the five parts. It's one plus two plus three plus four plus five equals principles. It equals the principles. So when it says principles before personalities, when we follow this, the personality is off to the side because my personality is typically the mask, the actor. And when I relinquish that, I am now practicing in principles. The thing about this is we don't always get what we want because a lot of us running on the best of intention, the motive of self or self-seeking is always in there because we want an outcome that we actually want. The thing is, when you follow this process, you might not get that outcome. That's, that's the thing. But the result was a principle of honesty, a principle of integrity, a principle of faith, a principle of perseverance, a principle of service. Like the principles are always the result of what comes out of the process. And way back in step three, it says, you know, we're rel relinquishing our little plans and designs. When we sincerely took such a position, all sorts of remarkable things follow. So I am sincerely taking the position here. And my little plans and designs get tossed to the side because I always want the outcome that I want. So I don't always get what I want, but I get what I need. And in that step three, it talks about uh, when we sincerely took such a position, all sorts of remarkable things followed. Having a new employer, here it is. I turn to God. I talk to 12-step pillars. They direct me back to God. Um, having a new employer, being all-powerful, he necessarily provides us with what we need. And it's not always what we want. But as Jesse talked many times through the study about character building, and spiritual values have to come first. This is where the character building is actually happening. And it happens like millimeter by millimeter by millimeter. And like Jesse said also when he spoke, you're going to fucking not catch this shit many, many times in a row. But the thing is, is am I willing? That's why the principle of step six is willingness. Am I willing to try repeatedly step six on all my faults without reservation? When I first started trying to catch these defects of character, I would fuck it up constantly. The desires that oppose the grace of God always won out, but I really wanted to change. So I just kept trying and I kept praying and I kept doing it. And then eventually I would catch one, right? I, I would catch one and I would be like, okay, this is where I usually get angry. And I fucking hit buddy with both barrels of my anger. 
but I'm not doing it because I finally caught it. I didn't react. Now I can respond. And then I follow this process and I'm like, okay. And then I pray for this guy, but the prayer is actually in resistance. I'm tolerating him. I'm not actually living in tolerance because tolerance is a principle of love. I'm living in a tolerate principle when I first do this. And it's based in self because I don't want the fucking pain again. Like I always fucking get. So it's not actually an altruistic action. I mean, it's not actually altruism. It's an altruistic action based in my selfishness that I want to avoid the pain. But then I do this over and over and over the years. I get to the place where that same exact situation can happen today. It's a working part of my mind. And I actually give a fuck about the person who at one point I would have double barreled. And I'll give you a quick example. So this last week, my daughter and her boyfriend had uh, broken up. And my daughter said, can you be here? He's going to be dropping off a load of furniture and shit at her mom's house. And she was just worried, right? So she asked me if I'd be there. And I was pretty busy, but I, I made the time because that's part of my living amend. Like part of it was I didn't really want to be there because I had shit going on. It was a busy Saturday. But I said, you know what? Fuck it. I have to live this amend. And I rearranged shit. And I went there. But I was 10 minutes late. Well, I was 10 minutes too late. As I'm pulling in, her boyfriend's driving away with U-Haul. And they just dumped all her shit on the driveway. And we're at her mom's house. But there's nowhere to put this stuff. Because her mom's got a full house. And she had a lot of shit. And right there, I would fucking probably have lost it on my daughter just for her own decisions based in self. And like, what a fucking idiot you are, blah, 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 blah. But I didn't. I was so fucking calm. And what happened was I brought calmness to my other daughters and to my wife, my ex-wife. And everyone was just calm. But they were still like wondering if I was going to lose it. Because that's how deeply ingrained these patterns are from how I used to be. So then I'm like, okay, well, none of this stuff is, it's not all going to fit in the living room and your dining room. There's too much shit here. So we went upstairs to my daughter's old room and her old room, she had moved out of to move in with her boyfriend. She left at a fucking pigsty. And I walk in there and my ex-wife is trying to get it ready so we can put the stuff in there. And I'm like, this stuff ain't coming in here. It can't come in here. This place is too gross to be stuffing it full of shit. And in that moment, I asked my daughter to close the door. And so it was just me and my ex and my daughter. And part of this lies within my ex, in my opinion, because it's her house, right? <clears throat> so in that moment, both of them are like, uh-oh. And then I was just really calm. And I just handled it like, okay, this is how we have to do this. This room cannot house that furniture or any of these clothes. This room has to be cleaned. And it has to be cleaned by my daughter, not by you, Shannon, my ex-wife, not by you. She needs to learn her lessons through the humility of cleaning up this room. And, but I guess my point is, is that I totally had a different, I had a psychic change in these areas. And I was able to navigate this in a kind and loving way. And the ripple effect of that is great because my daughters can live this life with some of this calmness, even though they're still learning this way of life. But, you know, I, I wasn't, I didn't need to go to a pillar. I was able to go to God right there. I was able to be present and to stay calm. I didn't respond. I react. I responded in a kind and loving way. Love and tolerance was my code. And my daughters and my ex 
really appreciated that. And you know what? I appreciated it because I don't want to be that person anymore anyway, right? So how long did that take to get there? Oh, it's taken fucking probably your whole recovery. A good five years of my recovery. I said, let's maybe take a break before we bust into it. Yeah, it took about five years for me to get there. I had spurts of some of that happening, but I still lose it here and there. But I'm not losing it so much today, right? But it takes time. I guess that's the main point. Anyway, okay, I'm going to carry on to the next paragraph at the bottom of 84. And then I'm going to read to where Jesse finished. And we have ceased fighting anything or anyone, even alcohol. Because really, really what this process does is it removes me. I'm the problem. So the alcoholics no, has no effective mental defense against the first think. Because it's always the think or the thought that drives, drives the alcoholism. If I'm thinking in self and I manifest more thinking in self, eventually I'm going to pick up a drink because I succumb to the desire because I'm living in the malady and I don't have a choice. So this process actually removes me from the problem because I'm the problem. So we have ceased fighting anything or anyone, even alcohol, because the, the main fight, when I first start the step 10 process, like exactly what we read here, I'm always initiated into this process by external conditions around me. So it's like, you're doing this. This is happening out here. This is happening over here. This is happening in my life. It's always an external thing that drives me to this process. So it looks like I'm fighting these things outside of myself, like you and this and that and the job and the money and the bank and the insurance company. It looks like I'm fighting everything and everyone outside of me. But over time, as you work this process over and over and over, over time, the real fight is actually right here. The fight is in my own head. And if I fight enough in my own head, then I'm going to fight you for sure. And then I'm going to fight alcohol again. So for this time, sanity will have returned. So when you first read that line, it's like sanity to not pick up a drink. But the real insanity for us is us running our own lives. So the real sanity that I get returned to is actually creator. God is running my life because all my, all the decisions that creator has for me through this process, they actually restore me to sanity and I'm not running my own life. That's the real sanity for me today. Okay. So we will seldom be interested in liquor. So as we have this problem of the first think, whether it's lust, greed, envy, sloth, whatever it is, we will seldom be interested in lust. We will seldom be interested in anger. We will seldom be interested in whatever the defective character is. And if tempted, if tempted, I recoil from it as from a hot flame. So like, you know, Jesse and I, you know, in our early recovery, we had a real problem with lust, right? And it took a lot of work, Matt, to relinquish this through these processes that we're talking about. And now today you present me with those same situations, I'm going to say 95% of the time, and I recoil from that shit as a hot flame. I want no part of those decisions based on self, even if the other person is like leaning on me. I'm like, whoa, I don't want that shit. So I am actually removing my own selfish self-centeredness 
but I'm not because it's a working part of my mind and I've just recoiled from anger or lust or envy or greed. Some of these are more subtle, so they're not as apparent, but over time, you'll, you'll see these things. We react sanely and normally, and we will find that this has happened automatically, like I said, but this is over time. We will see that our new attitude towards anger, towards lust, towards women, has been given us with any, without any thought or effort on our part. We have a total profound alteration in the way that we live and think about these certain things in, in society and life. It just comes. That is the miracle of it. We are not fighting it. Neither are we avoiding temptation. So I'm not avoiding the temptation of the anger or the lust or the, the fucking little bit of a payoff that I get from this dick carrot dangling. Because there's always a payoff when I act out in these behaviors. But the payoff is always based in pride. And pride is based in self. And it will always later place me in that position to be hurt. So I, I don't need to act out in that. There's, there's no payoff for me anymore because I've learned the hard way. There's no payoff. And as we build character, let's say I didn't build character and I get that immediate benefit and relief. It actually doesn't benefit me in the long term of my life in the next month and the next year and the next 10 years. There's no real benefit there. The benefit comes from me through building character. So if I'm looking for a partner and I walk this road in a good way and I, and I turn away all of those easy pieces of tail to build character, water finds its own level and I can actually be with somebody that I want to be with. And in the sex conduct in the step four, where it talks about writing out our same and safe sex ideal. You know, we ask God to help us mold our ideas. But then the next paragraph says, now we live up to it. So it's not about me having a shopping list of things that I'm going to want in a woman. They're principled-based um, words and ideologies and principles that actually Bill flips it on me and says, now you live up to that. And through me living up to that, then I attract that, right? And it's the same through everything. So it just comes, that is the miracle of it. We're not fighting it. So as we talked about step 10 being perseverance, fighting through some of these things, after a while, you're not fighting a lot of these defective characters. We feel as though we had been placed in a position of neutrality, safe and protected. So when I'm placed in a position of neutrality in here, then I can place myself in a position of neutrality in my society within my fellows. And I don't want to drink when I'm there because it's the fighting everything and everyone that is actually I'm fighting me. And then I need to have a relief and that's usually alcohol or drugs, but I get to place myself in a position of neutrality through the relinquishment of these, these selfish decisions that I'm trying to not make. Um, we have not even sworn off. Instead, the problem has been removed. I've been removed from the problem my selfish brokenness that i normally would act on it's been removed over time millimeter by millimeter over years and consistent persistent commitment to change it does not exist for us we are near neither cocky nor afraid that is our experience that is how we react so long as we keep in fit spiritual condition 
So just to finish this off, and honestly, for real, I could talk for probably two hours on just this stuff alone, but I'm keeping it short today, but I want to tie, tie it in with this. When I first start the step 10 process, most of the things that bother me are external, like I said. But as I continue to practice this process, I start realizing down the road that everything is internal. I'm not fighting you. I'm always fighting me. I'm not really resentful at you. I'm resentful at an ideology that I have. I'm not really hating on this, this section of society. I'm hating on an ideology that I fucking have. And as I start realizing this in the next session, when we get into the 10 and the 12 and 12, it talks about it as a spiritual axiom that every time that I am disturbed, the problem is within me. And it always is. I can't accept something, somebody, some, some place or situation to be as exactly how I want because I have a picture of how it should be and it's not matching my picture. So I need to let God's picture play out and have the acceptance, which is why acceptance is the answer to all of our problems. And in Fred's story, it says that these spiritual principles would solve all of his problems. And they've solved like, I'm going to say most of my problems. I still fight some shit in my own head but it's a lifelong process, right? And it's a healing journey, really. But when a lot of times I'll bring in a tradition to match the step. Most of the traditions people think are separate from the steps. Every tradition correlates exactly to the step. And this one, in my opinion, through what I've deciphered out of this literature, is in the book, it says AA has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the AA name is not drawn into public controversy. So when I follow this process to a T over time, I will have no opinion on outside issues outside of me because I'm working with love and tolerance of others is our fault. So as I don't have outside opinions, for fuck's sakes. So Wait, I thought that was quiet. That was not quiet. No, it, well, it wasn't in the microphone. Fuck's sake. So as I have no outside opinions on other people's shit, hence because of that, I'm not drawn into public controversy. Their drama, their trauma doesn't cause me drama anymore because I'm able to just let it be. I don't have an opinion on other people's shit all the time. So then just to tie in another tradition here, each group is autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or AA as a whole. So Bill Ward, I'm autonomous. And what does autonomous mean? It means I'm self-governing. But for the alcoholic addict, if we are self-governing based in self, we're fucking in trouble. So our self-governance actually is based on our relationship with God. So my self-governance has to come from a relationship with God. So each group is autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or A as a whole. So my autonomy, I can do whatever I want, as long as I don't affect other people or the world as a whole. But I got to be based in my, my God. These men believe in themselves and they believe more in the power that pulls these chronic alcoholics back from the gates of death. Through that relationship with God, I can believe in myself. But here's the thing about this autonomy and self-governance. When I'm walking in that authentic truth and I don't need to justify, I don't need to lay all the chips on the table to show you who I am and fucking justify everything that I do because I'm pretty cool with who I am. And I'm present in, the, in my life. I don't need to do that anymore. 
But when certain things affect my autonomy, like outside circumstances telling me what I should do with my body or what I should do with my life, if I keep allowing a person, place, or thing to take away the peace and serenity and contentment that I've achieved, then it becomes a decision based in self and that's insanity. So I got to really look at certain things that cause me reoccurring trouble because it's affecting my autonomy and I might have to practice total abstinence with a person, with a place or a thing and get them out of my life. So, you know, like I said, I could talk for a long time on these subjects right here, but we'll just leave it at that for right now. Go ahead. Okay. And we have ceased, we have ceased fighting uh, anything or anyone, even alcohol, for by this time sanity will have returned. So because sanity has returned, that's why I've ceased fighting everything or anyone, right? And so if you remember in the first number of chapters where we outlined what the insanity actually is, that is the thought of drink a plausible or insane trivial idea to drink and drunk, right? Being restored to sanity means that I could still think about the drink, but instead of the insane thought to drink being matched with another insane thought, being restored to sanity is I could match a sane thought to the insane thought of drinking. So that means that, you know, I would think about a drink before the program, before these 12 steps. And I would think about a plausible excuse or insane trivial excuse. I'll only spend a hundred bucks. I'm only going to have a couple. I'll shut it down at the bar early tonight. Um, I'll go to work early, you know, or, you know, fuck them. They don't understand whatever, right? I think about a drink. I match it with that drunk. Today, I could still think about a drink, but it's going to be matched with you know, I, you know, uh, it's not in the budget. Drinking's not in my budget. Um, you know, no, I've been sober for a while. No, I have this responsibility for as many excuses I have to, I had to drink is, a, is, is as many excuses I have not to drink. Which is just that alone's fucking, that is what we're doing here. Like without that, there is nothing else. Let's not, you know, I know that we've chatted a, a lot about design for living. We chatted a lot about, you know, the character. Uh, we've also chatted a lot about the promises, man. And like, to me, there's no greater promises in this book, at least for me. You know, drinking was the main fucking problem. And when I say hopeless as, and I think I'm subjected to drink with the allergy of the body, I did believe I was subjected to drink for the rest of my life. I didn't really, I really didn't think the program of Alcoholics Anonymous was going to work for me. Whole spiritual aspect, really thought I was fucking unique on that, man. I really, really did. Reading promises like this really blew me the fuck away, especially arrived at this point, right? Like reading the step nine promises stand alone, whatever. Reading these promises stand alone. You know, coming from a man who's insane, coming from a man who does not report, you know, saying that the problem has been removed, that type of shit is extremely fucking impactful. If tempted, we recoil from it as from a hot flame. And so 
about maybe two or three weeks ago, we had all the salesmen down for a little get together around one product or two. And uh, all the salesmen across the, the West, all these men are pretty well old guards. So they're 50 plus and they're good old boys. Like they fucking drink, they drink hard, you know, they play hard. All, all of the old, you know, ideas of, you know, pull up your socks and that, you know, all that shit. That's what these guys are the epitome of that. And, you know, I'm expecting to go to this dinner and I'm, I'm expecting these guys to get fucking hammered and slaughtered. And uh, they didn't, which really threw me back. And on top of that, at one point, my sales director ordered a bottle for the whole table. There's probably around 12 salesmen there. And uh, so the server ended up, you know, putting out all the wine glasses and pouring everybody a drink. And uh, I had, I probably drank like four fucking ginger ales throughout the whole whole night. And uh, at one point I ended up going for the wine glass that had wine in it. And I did this. Like that, like I went for it and then I saw what it was and I was like, oh fuck, right? And so when we say recoil from it is from a hot flame, that's exactly what we're talking about. You know, like I recognize what it is immediately and I recoil from it and then I move the fuck on, eh? Like that's the most important thing. The most important thing, like I have liquor in my house and I have served liquor to people who are not alcoholic. I probably have in total, I say maybe four or five 26ers or two sixers. And, and I think half of it's gin. I think there's beef eater and Bombay blue sapphire. And that's for guests. And I open up that cupboard often. And I don't even look at it. And that's what we're talking about. That's what we're talking about. And so, you know, if anybody questions that and say, Jess, that's fucking bullshit, blah, blah, blah. You know, working with others, read the end of that chapter, then come talk to me. Because the book says it's fucking, you know, whatever your choices. Some of us serve alcohol to fucking, you know, people who aren't alcoholics. Some of us don't. Some of us carry liquor in our home. Some of us don't. Fuck off is essentially it. But I do that. And, uh, you know, I mean, what, like what a gift that is. Like, I, I can't tell you, alcohol just does not cross my mind ever, really. You know, especially now, you know, from, from time to time, weed might crop into my mind, you know, where I'll be like driving and, it, you know, like tonight would be a nice night to drive. I'll have the sunroof down and, a, you know, a nice song comes on. And I think, you know, a joint would really ev- uh, like elevate this situation. And it is accurate that it probably would elevate the situation. But then I have to deal with all the shit that comes with that. And that's what comes into my mind. I'll think about that. I'll be like, yeah, you know what it probably would. But then I think, yeah, but then now this, but now that, and now this, and then it's over, right? We react sanely and normally. And that, like, that's fucking, that's pretty big too. Like, like it could have been, like, I could have made a whole fiasco at this thing. I could have been, you know, don't you know, I don't drink, you know, cause I'm kind of thinking to myself that, you know, this server has been handling this table for hours and she's been seeing me drinking ginger ale. She poured me a drink. I thought to myself, not really paying attention, you know, the server and kind of moved on, but I could have been, how fucking dare you? Uh, you know, obviously, you know that I've been nursing ginger ale's all fucking night. You pour me a fucking glass of wine. 
you know, no tip for, you know, I could have been a whole thing, but I react sanely and normally. And that's the sanity more so too. The sanity is to say that this individual, she's just not paying attention. Because I'm not the only fucking guy there. Like I said, there was at least 12 salesmen, including myself and my sales director, 14 fucking guys. And she's watching me the whole night. You know, we both know that's fucking silly. Of course, that's fucking stupid. And so I react sanely and normally, where I just kind of push it away, nurse my fucking ginger ale. We will see that our new attitude toward liquor has been given us without any thought or effort on our part. It just comes. It comes as a byproduct of the process, right? I'm not willing my, and like, I don't know if anybody has much experience with dry alcoholics, but without exception, dry alcoholics, for example, at this get together with these salesmen that I'm talking about, if there was a dry drunk there, the whole, like there would at least be a portion of the night that had to deal with him not drinking what that means to him, and maybe even some aggression as to the, like the fucking, the nerve of these other men drinking around him. The dry drunk has, because of the selfish self-centered nature, naturally, it's all about them and the fact they don't drink and they're fucking martyrs. Jesus Christ on the cross because they don't drink and you don't understand and all this other complete fucking nonsense. And the reality is, 12-step member in this program you know, guided by the, these steps in the spirit, it has just been removed without any, without any thought or effort. That is a byproduct. Really what that actually is, is a byproduct of the inventory process, stopping that cycle, right? At the start of this process, I had mentioned, we had read the cycle. And the cycle is that I am restless, irritable, discontent, that I will think about a drink, that I'll pick up the first drink, that the phenomenon of craving kicks off, I'm into the well-known stage of a spree. And if you remember in, in, in uh, Jim's story, he had had this thought, the server was right there. The server was right there. He had this lightning quick thought. He went through all five stages, right to the point that he ordered the whiskey. So this isn't some drawn out process where I obsess about alcohol and then eventually I take it. That's not what the fuck happens to me. It's lightning goddamn fast, right? So why it just comes is because we have stopped the rest of the cerebral discontent in its tracks. The rest of the cycle cannot fulfill itself. This is why it's just removed. Because really drinking is actually a manifestation of self. And if we cure self, like from selfish to selfless through this process in God, then we are no longer typically alcoholic. What do you think it says when the problem has been removed? It's as if it never fucking existed for us. The problem of what? Well, the problem of alcoholism. And so if the problem of alcoholism has been removed for an alcoholic, what does that make the alcoholic? Recovered, you could say. Or you could say no longer typically alcoholic if the one thing that fucking brands him an alcoholic is fucking removed. but. You know, even myself, I say, you know, recovered alcoholic or I'll, or I'll say full-blown alcoholic, whichever I feel like. We are not fighting it, neither are we avoiding temptation. So the whole idea of shielding ourselves, and I hear this still to this day, where that's what this program's about for a lot of people. 
This program is about third tradition. This program is about, you know, we just, hopefully we just don't drink today. I remember I was, I was working with a sponsee a couple nights ago and we were chatting about some of the rooms here and this individual was chatting about, you know, men's meetings and how we could have, you know, difficulties with men's meetings and whatnot. And I was referring to a meeting that I remember going to maybe a couple of years ago and I haven't been there fucking since. <laughs> and uh, in this meeting, that's like this guy was talking he was like fucking 40 years sober, maybe 30 years sober. And he was chatting about almost fucking having a physical altercation with his wife. Specifically, he was talking about popping his wife in the mouth. And then he was talking about, he did lose it at work. So the guy lost it at work, got into an altercation on the road, almost pops his wife in the fucking mouth, comes to a meeting and thank God I didn't drink today. And I'm listening to that like, dude, you fucking should have drank. You should have drank. You you know what? Your wife would probably be in a better fucking spot if you just drank and fucked off from the house. You know? And that's like the dry drunk. You understand this process. And people like, and I gotta, I gotta share this one because this one has been etched into my fucking mind. Me and Bill go to this meeting. We're um, gonna go pick up his father. It's around Christmas time. And so we're driving to Winnipeg. And we end up taking a stop in Regina, which is some of the worst Alcoholics Anonymous I've ever seen. Maybe I shouldn't even say that because this is getting recorded. But anyway, some of the worst I've ever seen in my fucking life. And uh, we go to this meeting and this is Christmas time. And there was this one individual there who was talking about, and I think this individual was over 10 years dry, not sober dry. And they were talking about how they no longer go to um, people's homes for uh christmas dinner and then she said because you know a lot of them cook with alcohol right and it's almost as if in the 10 years this has turned to be a paranoia this is now a paranoia like when we talk about shielding this individual has shielded themselves for so far oh, decade plus that now it's a paranoia and i'm just like i'm listening to that like holy fuck like she would have had a shot if she drank maybe seven years ago, right? She would have, I mean, you know, of course she would have died and that's God's will. That has nothing to do with us and Alcoholics Anonymous. But I know that if she drank, she would have had at least a better shot at getting what the fuck we're really talking about here. And what the fuck we're really talking about is me not having to shield myself. Like me and Kelly were watching the hockey game last night and there was a Molson commercial that came on. Does that mean I shut off my TV? When that happens, is that, is that how that works? Like even watching the, the game itself, there's a couple of booze fucking advertisements on the billboards. Does that mean I can't, so, okay, I, I can't watch hockey now as an alcoholic now, right? So, you know, going to clubs and, uh, you know, like Bill quite often would, would go to concerts before the Sharona Cyrus. He would go to concerts and he would, all the time he'd fucking go to concerts. Well, there's alcohol there. Bill could no longer go to concerts now. You know, he can't go where liquor is served at all. Like if that, if that's what this is, right? And cause that's what I thought this was originally. And if that's what this was, my guarantee to you is I'd still be fucking drunk. Cause that's a life I'm not fucking interested in. I could go anywhere a free man me go without disaster. Provided I keep a certain simple attitude. We have not even sworn off. Instead, the problem has been removed, period. Okay. 
It does not exist for us, period. We are neither cocky nor are we afraid, period. That is our experience, period. That is how we react so long as we keep in fit spiritual condition. Okay, and then we'll read the last little piece and try okay. and sew it up. It is easy to let up on the spiritual action, a program of action and rest on our laurels. For we're headed for trouble if we do, for alcohol is a subtle foe. We are not cured of alcoholism. What we really have is a daily reprieve contingent on the maintenance of our spiritual condition. Every day is a day where we must carry the vision of God's will into all of our activities. How, how can I best serve thee? Thy will, not mine, be done. These are thoughts which must go with us constantly. We can ex exercise our willpower along this line all we wish. It is the proper use of the will. Much has already been said about receiving strength, inspiration, and direction from him who has all knowledge and power. If we have carefully followed directions, we have begun to sense the flow of his spirit into us. To some extent, we have become God conscious. We have begun to develop this vital sixth sense, but we must go further, and that means more action. Okay, so my last little take on the step 10, and again, I could probably talk about this for quite some time, but I'll try to keep it short. It is easy to let up on the spiritual program of action and rest on our laurels. Yeah, and a lot of people do that, right? They come in as, as willing as a dying man can be at first, and then, you know, life gets a little better, and they let up on the spiritual program of action. And self bleeds itself back in. Was self actually even bled itself out? I don't really think so in many cases. It was, uh, it was a lot of theoretical God and the momentum of the program that carry a lot of these people through. And really, this stuff doesn't really start taking in the good way until like after that first year. Because that first year is kind of like, you know, it's, it's pretty easy in some ways. I know that it's hard, but it's easy in some ways. But as you get into the second year, you actually need more God. And as you follow these processes, you're able to, at some point, step away from self and see self for what it is. And that takes two or three years of really digging into the program the best that you can. If you're only half-assing this and you're able to stay sober for three years, you don't even have a clue. You're driving your life with the best of intention and probably still fighting a lot of things in your own head and the world in front of you. So, and when you look at laurels, we look at the word complacency. And the word complacency by de definition means self-satisfied. So typically a lot of us will come here just to get what we want get on with the business of being self-satisfied and not take what this what the program actually is saying to heart and what it's saying is relieve me of the bondage of self take away these difficulties build with me do with me as thou wilt so i can be of service to you god this is about being of service through the service i find everything i ever wanted in the outside external things that i try to draw to myself anyway what we really have is a daily reprieve and reprieve means stay from death. And for the alcoholic to drink is to die. And even if we're not dead six feet under, we're dead inside. And we know what that feels like. Every one of us know what it's to be like being dead inside, walking this earth as a zombie, right? Every day is a day we must carry the vision of God's will into all of our activities. Well, if I follow those directions on page 84, I am carrying the vision of God's will into everything that I'm doing. That's exactly what this line is. It's worked through that five-step process on page 84. How can I best serve thee? Thy will not mine be done. 
My will is what I start that step 10 process. God's will is how I finish it. The result is the principles. And again, we may not like the outcome. Our ego may not like the outcome of what the process results in, but that's besides the point. That's through the pain of building of character. And we learn a lot of lessons through those pains. And we heal along the way because this, again, is a journey of healing. These thoughts are, which must go with us constantly. We can exercise our willpower along this line all we wish. It is the proper use of the will. So it's not saying that God just does everything. We align our will, our best effort forward to align it with God's will. This doesn't just happen miraculously because we're here in the program. Like step six talked about, you know, God can remove the mania of alcohol from our lives. Why can't he do the same with every other difficulty or defect? The full answer of which may be only in the mind of God, but at least part of the answer is apparent to us. Part of this answer is apparent to us because we got to expose it and we got to align our will and take the steps forward with the willingness and honesty to try this with the best possible attitude that we can. And typically, when you see the word attitude in the big book, for me, the word attitude means God. You know, it works when we work at it and have the proper attitude. Um, if you can think honestly, search diligently within yourself. Then if you wish, you can join us on the broad highway with this attitude. You cannot fail. The attitude is God. The most profound result of all is our change in our attitude towards God. Because God is the attitude. That's what, it, that's what happens because I start entering into the world of the spirit and God is guiding my life for the most part. Okay, this I really love this stuff. Much has already been said about receiving strength, inspiration, and direction from him who has all knowledge and power. So much has already been said about receiving God's strength, God's inspiration, God's direction. Where has it been said? Well, in the first 84 pages of this big book, Plus the doctor's opinion. Much has already been said about receiving that strength, inspiration, and direction from him who has all knowledge and power. I call on God's knowledge and power. I call on God's forgiveness for this person because my God is all forgiving. I might not be able to forgive him, but my higher power can. So I call on God's forgiveness, God's strength, God's clarity. Because left to my own devices, again, I, I'll base it in self, right? So much has already been said about receiving this strength and inspiration and direction from God, who has all knowledge and power. If we have carefully followed directions, really important line, if you have carefully followed the directions on page 84, and sometimes the directions on page 84 aren't enough, we may have to go back to step four and step five, become willing again, do some more willingness in the amends and make more amends over time so if we have followed directions carefully and the big thing about this program is a lot of people think that the big book is just warm and fuzzy and it just makes my life warmer because i have this theoretical god in my life no when we follow the the mechanics the pro practical application of these things the results are the results of what we're reading here these are kind of even more promises from turning this over right? I get, I get the strength of myself. It's not there. I get this inspiration of myself. It's not there. I get this direction of myself. It's not there. I get it from this power. 
So these are promises. If I follow these directions, okay? We have begun to sense the flow of the spirit into us. So I begin to sense the flow of the spirit, okay? To some extent, we have become God conscious, which is why if I follow the step 10 process over here, I enter into the world of the spirit. So I'm, I'm beginning to walk hand in hand with my creator, not just every now and then. It starts becoming a working part of my mind. But at first it's every now and then because I got to go through the pains of humility and learning and suffer some of the pains of the learning. But eventually I will relinquish a lot of these things and, you know, I will let go. And letting go in the program, the word letting go, just let it go, just let it go. You can't just fucking let shit go. Really, how you let it go is through inventory, through bringing God in, through talking to God-centered 12-step pillars, through working a, a consistent, persistent program. Over time, you might let millimeter by millimeter by millimeter go to the point where you're okay with that, right? So to some extent, we've become God-conscious. We have begun to develop this vital sixth sense. So I'll just finish with this. In the chapter, We Agnostic, it talks about the fundamental idea of God, which is love to me, is within every man, woman, and child, but it's often obscured. So it doesn't say that it's totally blocked off. It's obscured by calamity, pomp, and worship of other things. But it's the pomp, which is self. Society teaches me a lot about self and my own manifestations of self ingrain that. And the worship of other things. A lot of the things I worship, where my mind thinks it's all about me. And I worship like women. I worship lust. I worship gambling. I worship envy. A lot of these things I don't really, I'm not even conscious to what I worship. A lot of people worship martyrdom and self-pity, but they're not really aware of it because they've never woken up to it and they've never had the awareness of it, right? But these are the things that we worship, the pomp and worship, which creates the calamity. The calamity is the obscuredness of God. It's all covered up, okay? Um, so as I clear out this channel more and more and more, I start getting in touch with the true nature of who I am. I start getting in touch with the core of who I am. And I get to develop this vital sixth sense, and we talk about intuition. And I get to start calling on this power of intuition, Common sense will thus become uncommon sense. I don't need to figure everything out with my mind, with the five senses. I can rely on this power that's built right into me to guide my life. It's like a life GPS system, God's pointer system. It will actually guide me to where I need to be in my life. But it doesn't always make sense with the societal belief systems of where I should go and what I do. That's why it's so important to clear out the pomp and the worship and the calamity so that we can actually hear it. And we all have heard that voice inside of us, except we cover it up with the other voice of logic and what's common sense based on what we've learned. But then this real quiet voice gets louder and louder. And I like to say I sharpen my intuition and it takes practice, right? So why we do that? Because we must go further. So I've cleared the channel and now I'm walking like with a lot of this obscurity gone, I'm working with a lot of love and love-centered principles, and we must go further, and that means more action. And then it goes into step 11, and I'll just touch on the first little bit of step 11, which suggests prayer and meditation. We shouldn't be shy in this matter of prayer. Better men than us are using it constantly. It works when we have the proper attitude. 
So God is the attitude here. And we work at it. So as I go into this process of the step 11 and God is the attitude, I can now expand more power into my life because the channel is so clear. And maybe step 11, when you were first given it, it's a set of directions on maybe how to live your life. A lot of sponsors will give you 86 to 88 and say, this is kind of how you're supposed to live your life, which is good. That's okay when you're new. But eventually you got to use the step as it's designed and it's designed for prayer and meditation. But a lot of the inventory that we do in step 10 gets implemented into it. And it works when we have the proper attitude of God and we work at it. And we'll get more into that when we do step 11, but that's it. Okay. Every day is a day where we must carry the vision of God's will into all of our activities. How can I best serve thee? Thy will, not mine, be done. So if you remember in the first number of chapters, in regards to the alcoholic problem, I had mentioned that because the problem is, is two parts, essentially, of the mind and of the body. A lot of people will throw the spirituality in there and call it three parts. I mean, I'm okay with that as well. But let's just say, as per this conversation, what I'm going to talk about, we'll just keep it to the two parts. That means that the solution has to be a two parts. It means that the solution has to be of the mind and also has to be of the body. So when we went through We Agnostic, one of the biggest perspective changes, because that's what it is, God of the mind starts as a perspective, right? It starts as how do I see the world, right? Do I see the world crooked? Do I see the world good, right? And it needs to be like Bill's talking about sharpening, sharpening in intuition. That's not the only thing that needs to be sharpened, right? A lot of things need to be sharpened, including our perspective. So where that starts is God is everything or else he's nothing. And so we're given another perspective, which is that I have to carry the vision of God's will into all my activities. That's what has to drive me. And like I said before, none of this shit's possible without the practice of humility. Without the practice of humility, I'm not fucking, like I'm not doing God's will. That's just not happening. I'm working on Jesse's will, what Jesse wants, what makes me feel good about me. That's the type of shit that drives me right? So when I clear the channel, right? With the clear channel, after that, I'm working on my perspective. And my perspective is how can I best serve thee, right? So that is a, that is another perspective on top of the God is everything or else he's nothing. When I clear the channel, I clear the channel for this. I clear the channel in order to be you know, a spearhead of God's everlasting creation. So much has already been said about receiving strength, inspiration, direction from him who has all knowledge and power. If we carefully follow directions, build and share on this. I'm not going to share on it too much, but, you know, we're not talking about suggestions here. Okay. When it comes to this program and the 12 steps, this program is not only for the alcoholic to sober up. This program is, is used for many other fellowships, one of which would be Al-Anon's, for example, although there's variations of, you know, how about, how exactly they'll go over the steps. It is still the 12 steps, right? So when you look at these other individuals, whether it be the employer of an alcoholic, the um, medical fraternity, you know, the wife of an alcoholic, the family of an alcoholic, these are suggestions for the alcoholic. 
who is dying, dying, suffering from alcoholism. These are directions. These are not suggestions. To some extent, we have become God conscious. We have developed, uh, we have begun to develop this vital sixth sense, but we must go further and this means more action. So we talk about God conscious members, right? God conscious members specifically means that they have done a step five and they continuously practice step 10, which means that when you chat with these individuals, they're fully present in that conversation in that moment. That's when we talk about God consciousness, that's like the main fucking piece. That's the main piece. Because if they are fully present in that conversation, in order to achieve that, there's many other things that they have to do. And you know in that moment that they are doing those things. And if you are God conscious, then you're chatting with another God conscious member. It's much easier, obviously, to spot a member who's God conscious when you're God conscious yourself, when you're fully present. Really only then can you notice that this individual is present as well. When it talks about the sixth sense, that is that is an example, I believe, of what um, of what Bill's opinion, Bill Wilson's opinion is of presence. I believe that that is another word for being present, this vital sixth sense. And other than that, there's nothing more. I, I'm going to keep up the theme of fucking keeping it short like Bill has, because I know Bill could have talked a fuck of a lot longer. I know I could have talked a fuck of a lot longer as well. But we're going to have the opportunity in the 12 and 12 anyways. Mm-hmm. And if we and if we do get out of hand, that could fuck. We could turn this step into a four fucking four sessions, and I don't think we could do that to these people. No. I think that would be. Let's an, get Sharma to keep injustice. us in line. Where is Sharma? Oh, he's there. He's just fucked off right now. Is there any questions? We'll open it up for a, for a second here for any questions on what we've chatted about for here. a second <laughs> for two minutes. <coughs> No? Okay. Close it out with the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom that will the difference. Thank you guys for coming. We'll see you next week. Thank you for tuning in to the UDR cast. We hope you have enjoyed this episode. The viewpoints and the opinions expressed today were solely of the individual sharing them. If you resonated with this episode, please follow us and share this link with anyone that may benefit from it. Please visit us at billward.life to see everything that we have going on. We can recover one person, one family, one community at a time.